Welcome to an all-new episode of Get Lit with Leanna, the podcast. Join me as I sit down with a new guest author in each episode to discuss their books, careers, and everything in between. Today's guest is one of those pinch me moments. I cannot believe that I'm introducing her right now. She is a New York Times bestselling author, a USA Today bestselling author. She has written four of my favorite romance books of all time. Not only is she an incredible author, but she also owns her own bakery, a cupcake bakery. She's honestly incredible. This woman needs no introduction, but in case you have not yet picked up on who I'm speaking about, the incredible Abby Jimenez is here today to talk about her new book, Part of Your World. But of course, we have to speak about her three previous books, The Friend Zone, The Happy Ever After Playlist, and Life's Too Short. This conversation was everything. I got to ask her so many of these burning questions I've had for the last like two and a half years since I first read her debut novel. And I just can't believe she's here to talk about everything with me. So this podcast is definitely one to listen to, to all of your friends. And yeah, it's not lost on me how lucky I am to have had her on this episode. And I hope you all enjoy listening to this as much as I loved recording it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with romance author, Abby Jimenez. Welcome, Abby, to my podcast. I am so elated to have you here. As I mentioned briefly right before we started, this is like a dream episode for me because I've been obsessed with your writing for the longest Mm -hmm. time. And when I heard that the fourth book was coming out, I like needed to get my hands on an art copy. So I reached out to your publisher and they're like, yes, of course. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna get an early copy. This is crazy. Like I felt like I had a piece of like treasure in my hands. And then when I reached out to you and asked if you wanted to come on the podcast, you're like, I love podcasts. I was like, pinch me. I can't believe it. It's happening. So I can't believe we're doing this. This is an incredible way to start my weekend. So thank you so much for being here. I know. I'm so excited. I, and I do love podcasts. They are so fun. I hope that this is the most fun one you will do in promo of this book. But before we get started and talk about this book, I know a lot about you because I'm a big fan of your writing. But for those who don't know that much about you and your background, can you tell me how you started writing? How did this all start? So I guess we should probably go back before the book thing, just um, because I I have another I have another history I have another job besides just writing. So I actually um, I own a bakery called Nadia Cakes that I founded out of my house back in 2007, and I'm a Cupcake Wars winner. I've been on many many TV shows. I was on Fabulous Cakes on TLC for two seasons. I was on two episodes of Cupcake Wars, um, and I've got three locations in two states. So that's my like my nine to five job, and uh, like in 2017. Um, Nadia Cakes is to the point where I had like a really solid team. I didn't have to go in every day. I became more administrative. So I had more free time on my hands and I always enjoyed reading, like always enjoyed reading. And I always enjoyed writing. I used to take creative writing in high school, but I never went, I never went to college. I never went to culinary school either. I never went to college or, you know, school for anything beyond high school. And I just always thought like to be a writer, you had to be like a journalist or like, you had to have a blog, you had to have creds, you know, you couldn't just be like, I'm going to write a book. Um, well, I was on this camping trip with my kids up in the boundary waters instantly, which I wrote into the happy ever after playlist. And there was this horrible thunderstorm 
And we were in the tent. Of course, you get like no Wi-Fi service or anything. And I started telling my daughters this like YA story that I had thought up in my head. And they were like, what happens next? What happens next? And my oldest daughter was like, mom, you should go home and you should write this. So I went home and I just started writing chapters. And every day she would come home from school and I would read her these chapters. And I ended up writing this whole book and it was awful. Like I talk about this every day. Yeah. Like everyone's always like, Oh my God, you want to read that book. You do not want to read that book. Trust me. <laughs> um, it was 300,000 words long, which is three of my books that I let's three of them put together. Okay. That's a, a lot of words. Oh my God. And I submitted it to a literary agent. Um, I, now that I look back, I'm like, I had the audacity. Um, I submitted it to a literary agent. It was a hot mess. And she very gently told me, mm, you might benefit from getting some critique partners. So I went online and I found a, t- a site called Critique Circle. And Critique Circle ended up being like my writing boot camp. Wow. I spent a year on that site. And when I say I spent a year on that site, it was eight to 12 hours a day on critique circle. Um, it's a, it's a tit for tat community. So you can't even submit your chapters every week unless you've critiqued somebody else's chapters and gotten credits to submit your own. So, you know, you have to read like five, 10, you know, 2,500 word plus chapters of other people's work and give them critiques to even get the credits to submit your own. And then when people critique yours, you have to respond and ask questions, you're editing and you're writing. And it was, intense. I worked hard. Um, when I got on the site, the first thing I did was I started to submit that awful YA book. And they said to me pretty much the same thing the agent did. Oh, this is awful. Um, but <laughs> they all said that I had really good dialogue, that the dialogue in my story was really, really strong. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to trunk this whole book and I'm going to do what I know I do well, which is dialogue. I'm going to write a story where like maybe the main characters are separated. Uh, so there's a ton of texting and a ton of on the phone and they're just talking, talking, talking. And, you know, maybe he's a musician overseas and she's an artist living out of her house and she finds his dog and, and, that book ended up being the happy ever after playlist. So I started writing that book on critique circle and submitting it, you know, through the site and the whole 14 weeks that I submitted that book through that site, it was the number one, most critiqued book on the site. Wow. It it was like beloved. So I, was so encouraged by this, I decided to query an agent and Critique Circle has all these great resources, like how to write a query letter, you know, how to, how to find an agent, like all these fabulous forms and everything. So um, I wrote a query letter and I submitted it to my crit buddies and I was like, what do you guys think? And there was a dick joke in the query letter and my crit buddies were like, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it, girl. It's not, it's, it's not professional. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. If she can't handle me at my dick joke, she can't handle me at my happy ever after playlist. Right. So I submitted this, I I did all this research and I found this agent that I loved and she just, she, in her, you know, little bio, she talked a lot about loving zombies and she actually is an author herself. And she created the zombie tarot cards that you can buy like, you know, and and in like gift shops and stuff. It's really cool. So anyway, she, we had a lot of things in common. I thought, you know, she probably really liked this book. So I submitted it to her. She loved it. I got my agent on the very first go around. Um, And when we were in submissions for the Happy Ever After playlist, I told my agent, you know, what if I went back in time and I wrote the story that made Sloan who she is in her book? You know, like I write Kristen's love story, The Best Friend. And then we can see like what Sloan lived through and how Sloan ends up who she is in her book. So I wrote The Friend Zone while we were in submissions and I got both books picked up. They ended up, it ended up going to auction. and. that's, that's my publishing story. That's wild. I didn't know that you had written happy ever after playlist before friend zone. Mm-hmm. 
was that really hard to then go back and create her whole story, like having already written out an entire full book about her? Oh man. So a lot of people, I'm not going to give any spoilers to those who have not read my two books, uh, my first two books. Um, but a lot of people were mad at me for something that happened in the friend zone. And I have to say mm-hmm. that had to happen because That's true. the happy ever after place was already written. That was the whole purpose of writing the friend zone. It wasn't there for shock value. Like that was the entire reason yes. why I wrote the friend zone to show us that story. So when we get to the happy ever after place, there's that depth there and we understand what happened to this person and how they became who they are. Um, and it was hard because I went into that book knowing what I had to do. Right. <laughs> and it was, not, it was not fun what I had to do. Right. Um, but, you know, the friendships in the Happy Ever After playlist in the friend zone are very much based on my friendship with my best friend. Like I'm sort of Sloan and Kristen is, of course, my best friend, Lindsay. And Lindsay dealt with infertility in real life. Oh, so wow. when I wrote Kristen, it was automatically like, oh, well, I know what her journey is going to be. It's going to be her infertility journey because that's what she went through with her husband. And so the infertility story in the friend zone is from start to finish exactly what happened to my best friend. Like exactly. Um, my best friend had a hysterectomy at the age of 28 due to severe uterine fibroids, just like what Kristen has and had a full hysterectomy by the age of 29. Wow. So, um, yeah. So that the infertility people say that it feels like a very authentic infertility story it's because it is. It's, I was going to say, I know people close to me in my life that have dealt with infertility and the people that I have read it, that I know have dealt with something like this have all said that it, it feels very honest and very raw. Like it, you could tell that it's told from somebody who has either gone through it or somebody very close to them has gone through it. Yes. So that's very that is, interesting. Wow. That is her entire story that I put in that book in a fictional wow. setting, but her real infertility story. Crazy. That's incredible. I did not know that either. So as much as I thought that I knew about you, clearly I have some, some brushing up to do, but before we go more into all of your books, I have so many questions about your cupcake company. I can't believe that you do this as a nine to five. And then you also write books. So like, what do you think about making cupcakes and like creating recipes and different flavors? How does that at all relate to like your writing creativity? Like, do you find that you have to ever use like the same kind of like creative muscles? Like, is there any connection there for you? Or do you think that they're two totally different parts of you and your brain? Uh, you know, if you would have asked me before I started my cake business, if I was a creative person, I would have told you like, absolutely no. I would have said, no, I'm not creative at all. And it was so weird because when I started making cakes, I was a cake decorator. That's how I started. I didn't start with the cakes. I started as a cake decorator. So I made these really gorgeous, you know, fondant creations and like these little like, you know, characters. And it was kind of weird because it was like, I'm not an inherently artistic person. uh, But then I had to like stand back and look and I'm like, but I'm capable of making these cakes. Like, this is kind of weird. So I guess I guess I am creative. I, I I suppose I have to admit now as, as like an author, as like a writer and like a cake decorator that I suppose I am creative. Um, So it does probably come from the same place inside of me. Um, But the thing, the one connecting thing between the two businesses is that I, these are my hobbies. These are the things that I like to do. I always loved baking. I always loved cake decorating. I always liked, you know, going to a birthday party and looking and seeing the cake on the table. That was my favorite part of going to a wedding or going to any sort of gathering is the cake. And I just basically took my hobbies and just like rolled with it. And luckily my hobbies are things that other people like to purchase and enjoy. (laughs) Um, Right. But yeah, like, you know, the cake started as a hobby. And then when I lost my job in 2007, I started doing that as a business. Um, And I did get really burnt out on the cakes. You know, when, when it becomes a job and it's like, you can't take a break and you have to make things that you're not feeling inspired to make. 
uh, or, you know, it, you, you get very burnt out and I did end up getting burnt out on cakes. So mm. I actually don't decorate cakes anymore. I haven't done it for gosh, probably 10 years. Oh, I mean, wow. I, yeah, like I still can, but it never came back for me. Like that desire to like, you know, make a beautiful, gorgeous cake. It never came back. Cause I got so burnt out just wow. running bakeries and, um, so I'm very careful, like I'm very cognizant that that can happen. And I'm very careful with my books that I don't do the same thing. Right. So I've told my publisher, like, I only want to publish one book a year. I don't want to be cranking these out and feel like I'm on this like really heavy deadline, right. um, you know, where it stops becoming fun for me. Like this has to stay fun for me. It has to be something that I feel inspired to do, or I'm just not going to do it anymore. Um, so I do one book a year. And I really put everything into that one book and it sounds like you can tell. So that's really great. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how the two like intertwine, I guess, you know, that's incredible. I think it does come from the same place, but going back to your books, because obviously that's how I found you and how I know mm-hmm. you, you to me, at least are like the queen of romance writing because you have just honestly perfected the romance formula. Like I know when I go into a book by you, you're going to make me laugh till I cry. You're going to make me cry of some sort of sadness, but in the end, I'm always going to get like a happily ever after. So what kind of romance books do you read or have influenced your writing? Like what, what do you like to read being such a romance queen yourself? Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Oh, you know, I, when, right when I started writing, I was very into V. Keeland and um, LJ Shen. That's kind of what I was reading at that time. Now I've more like transitioned into like Emily Henry. I love Emily Henry. I, I thought people we meet on vacation was the perfect romance novel of all time. I love that book so much. Uh, I read a lot of Farrah Roshan and, you know, it's funny now because reading romance now is sort of like, it's sort of like my job now, right. you know, cause I get a lot of blurb requests. So I get a lot of um, requests for me to read romances. So I, when I'm like, when I want to actually like flush my brain and, you know, just sort of like give my brain a rest, I actually read historic nonfiction. Oh my <laughs> um, God. Yeah. I, cause it's like, I can't get mad at the plot because it happened. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, and I learned something and it's like, you know, I, I actually lean on that more than I lean on romance when I'm looking to relax, but okay. Yeah, but I do love Emily Henry. I cannot wait to get my hands on book lovers. Uh, of course, I, Sally Thorne. I love The Hating Game. I can't wait to see. I, I want to read her newest book that's coming out because it sounds very different than what she's written before. So I'm super excited for that one. I love all of those books too. And I have to tell you that when I read People We Meet on Vacation, I actually got the feeling, and I even said this to my friend, it felt like a book that you would write. Like, it, I don't know why it was like of the same tone, I guess, because you're both very, very funny. But when I read it, I was like, this feels like Abby and like, you're my favorite. So that was a really big compliment. I think that you should 
give yourself a pat on the back that I like <laughs> made that connection in my head because I adored that book too. One of my favorite books of yours. I mean, I love them all, but like Happy Ever After Playlist is probably one of my favorites just because it has my all-time favorite trope, like celebrity, regular person. I love that so much. Do you love that trope? Is that something you like when you were writing the book? I know you said that you wanted to use a lot of dialogue and that's kind of how you got like the long distance texting part of it, but was like the famous person part of it, like a big nugget for you that you really wanted to make sure you included? No. So the way, like the little kernel of inception for that book was, you know, of course I wanted to do something that was heavy on dialogue, but I saw this video. It was like a YouTube video or something of this guy who was dog sitting for his friend. And this guy made this video of all the fun things that he did with his friend's dog. He's got the dog in a bucket in the backyard. He's giving him a bath. He's got the dog in his bed and the dog's like sleeping on his pillow. Oh my God. Uh, The dog's at, at Starbucks getting a puppuccino. And I thought, wouldn't it be so cute if a woman found this man's dog and for some reason he's out of town, so he can't come get his dog. And so she's dog sitting for him. They've never met. And she makes this really cute video of her doing all these fun things with his dog. And I thought, okay, so I love that, that premise. I love that. That's how they meet, you know, that (laughs) that she finds this stray dog. And I thought, so where is this guy? He's got to be far enough away that he can't come get his dog, you know? So maybe he's overseas. So what is he? Is he like a businessman? Is he, is he traveling abroad? Like, what is he doing? And I thought, you know, musicians travel a lot. I'll make him a musician. And I needed her to work from home, you know, to have the ability to be home with this dog all day. So I thought I'll make her an artist and she works in her house. And I really liked that dynamic too, because they're both artists, you know, they're both creative people. So I thought they'd have a lot in common in that way. So that's, that's how we got the musician thing. It was not like one of the things that I came right out of the gate with. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. I'm obsessed with the way that you use animals in all of your books also. And the way that you put your own dog in your book. Yeah. I mean, Not he's got normal. such a great name, Stuntman Mike. No, it's the best name. Yeah, it's the best name. And I was like, you know, I want a dog for this book. I want Kristen, um, you know, Kristen in, in the friend zone has yeah. this business called Doglet Nation. And I always joked with my husband, I should start a little business called Doglet Nation where all <laughs> I sell is cute dog outfits because I, I had so many ideas for cute dog outfits that never, that I never, you it's know, can find. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to have that be Kristen's job. You know, and so I got to give her a small dog. And I was like, well, stuntman Mike is adorable. You know, he's like oh my, my little He was walking around with his tongue out. And yeah, and I'm like, I'll just use him. So I ended up using stuntman Mike in the book. And it's so funny now because actually stuntman Mike and Tess, my, my husband's hunting dog Tess, are super viral on TikTok. They're I know like t- they're like TikTok stars. I know <laughs> they have videos with like over like 7 million views on them over there. So people are like, oh my gosh, I just read this romance novel where the dog's name is Stuntman Mike. And then I realized it was you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's so funny yeah. how like people are like looping around the backside and then realizing, you know, finding it's my so funny. way. Yeah. It's so funny. My sister, I have a younger sister who was equally obsessed with you. And when I told her that we were doing this, she's like, you need to ask about Stuntman on TikTok. I was like, don't worry, I got you. I will ask. <laughs> so I she's also, Do you want yeah. like a little Stuntman cameo? Oh my God, we would love. All right, let me text one of the people that are upstairs with sure one of your helpers one of your little elves yeah hold on he is he is the worst though he does not he just literally is just nothing but blep like there's just nothing going on in his brain he that's just so he loves his mom and his tongue is out and that's it how old is he he's seven. Oh my gosh yeah he looks like a baby but he's yeah, well because he's so little so happy ever after playlist it was announced late last year i believe right that it's going to be made into a movie yes. and 
my favorite thing ever is when anything in romance book world gets made into film or TV. Like I'm always so nervous that it'll ever live up to what I had read, but still I'm the first person in line for any adaptation. I'm here for them. I love it so much. I don't know if you saw, there was recently an article in entertainment weekly about why we need to continue to make romance books into other types of media, like film and TV. If you Mm -hmm. haven't read it, it's an incredible article. I don't know how much you're allowed to tell me about this, but whatever you're allowed to share, I would love to know, like, how did the process happen? Where are we at now? Like share anything you're comfortable sharing. So, um, Throughline Entertainment, which is the production company that did The Great on Hulu, which is a fabulous show, uh, they picked up the rights, the pitch rights for the Happy Ever After playlist. And they picked it up like right in the beginning of the pandemic. It was like right at the start. So everything in Hollywood was at a complete standstill. Like people were not making movies, like nobody. So so that really put like a, a sort of a pause on the whole project. Um, They put together the deck, which is like, you know, all the pitch materials and everything. And then pitch meetings got delayed because some of the people they wanted to, I think of the people they wanted to pitch to were pregnant and on maternity leave. Okay. Um, And they actually just went into pitch meetings for that book last week. So it's like, finally the wheels are starting to turn. So I'm not sure where they're at. I actually have to actually have to message them and see like what's going on. Um, But they just (laughs) went into pitch meetings. And the update that I got was the pitch meetings were going very well. Um, there was also, there's also a little bit of, I don't know how much I can say. Um, but part of your world has had a lot of interest. Uh, we actually got a really generous offer from Hallmark that I turned down because I did not think that they were going to make the movie with as much depth as that book requires. Like, I know it's got the whole, like, you know, big city girl, small town boy thing that Hallmark loves, but there's a lot more to that book than just that dynamic. Um, so I did turn that offer down, which is probably a good thing because we got another offer and I don't know how much I can say, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Um, But let's just, let's just say that very soon there should be a really exciting announcement for part of your world. That's so exciting. Very exciting. When your projects get adapted, like, I don't know if you know yet because you it's only kind of just starting, but like how involved are you as the author of that book? Like, is it kind of, I know that there's different types of deals and obviously it's very circumstantial, but is it kind of like, okay, here's my book. Now it's yours. Do what you want with it. And I don't really have too much of a say, or are you going to be like very involved? Like, do you know even what that process is going to look like for you? I have been offered as much involvement as I want. I've been offered to write the screenplay if I want, which I have no interest in writing a screenplay, but I definitely want to see any screenplays that are written for my books because I want to make sure that we do the the movie and the book justice. I definitely want to make sure that any um, adaptions are doing the book justice. So I will absolutely be involved and on set if I can be on set. Um, And one stipulation that I always make is that Nadia Cakes has to be in any movie. I don't care if it's just like there's a cupcake that we're sliding across the counter, but I slip Nadia Cakes into all of my books and I want a Nadia Cakes camo in any movie. It'll be there. Wait, would you be in the movie? Like, would you be down to do a cameo of yourself? Man, I don't know. That might be fun. It's so fun. That could be fun, maybe. Yeah. I remember Colleen Hoover had her book Confess made into a TV adaptation. And there's one scene in that 
TV show where she's like just in, I think it's like a club scene and she's just like sitting at a table in the club. And if it's like blink and you miss it. Like if you don't know what she looks like or who she is, you won't notice that it's her, but she's totally in there. And then in the after books, the movie adaptations, there's one point where like the, the main character is walking into a, her office and she like gets the door held open to her by the author of the books. So like little things like that, even if it's not like a big speaking part, but just like Maybe you're like holding the cupcakes or something, you know? Yeah, I do like Easter eggs. So maybe I will. Maybe I will. (laughs) You should should add it into your contract if you can. Like, I just want to be in it. Me and my cupcakes. Yeah, everyone that's talked to me about movie rights seems extremely open to all of those things. Like they like it when the author contributes. And I'd be so fun to work with too, because I'm not like, you know, I'm not overbearing. Okay, I hear stuntman coming. Oh my God. Oh, you got to hand them to me because I can't reach them. Tess is right here too, but you can't see her. Oh no. You hear him growling? Yeah, I hear. (sighs) Oh my God. He's a real life teddy bear. Yeah. He's growling at Tess. I don't know if you can. (laughs) And his little tie. No. Hi, stuntman. Hi, baby. His tongue. No, he's too precious, too precious. He's actually coming with me on um, all my Minnesota book tour stops. I know you're about to do a huge tour. Yes, they're set. Finally, I get an in-person book tour. I'm going That's to so Houston, fun. Boston, uh, Minnesota, Miami, and then probably um, LA and New York later. That's so fun. Is he going to come with you for all of them or just the Minnesota dates? No, I wouldn't take him on a plane. He's Okay. He's just... I don't know. He's like an emotional pooper. <laughs> I wouldn't trust him on a plane. <laughs> That's epic. Something that I've noticed in all of your books, um, and then this will be a good segue into part of your world, but you create, right, the absolute most genius and different types of meat cutes. Like every single one of your book has just the best meat cutes. And like, this is also to say in part of your world, there's an amazing meat cute. So like, how important to you is that? Is that the first, when you're writing a book, like, is that where you start from? Like, Hey, how are they going to meet? I know we just talked about like, that was kind of your inception idea for happy ever after playlist. Like, is that always something that's important to you? Cause I just find that you're amazing at it. And they're so original every single one. You know, I don't actually, I, I don't know. Like I don't actually work that hard for the oh meet cute. And I, and you know, it's funny cause I'm working on my sixth book right now. So if my fifth book is, um, coming out next year, but I'm working on my sixth book right now. And the meet cute in that one is also really, really good. And I'm just like, I don't even know where I come up with them. Honestly, I, they just sort of like appear in my brain. I don't know, but I don't know if you're aware of this, but my husband and I actually had a really interesting meet cute as no. well. I was going to say, is this from your real life? Okay. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay. So I got him searched by, um, airport security. Um, so this was like, yeah. And this, this actually, the story went viral on TikTok. It's so funny. Um, but it was like right after September 11th, it was the January after September 11th. And, um, I was at a company conference and my husband and I worked for the same company oh. and, um, security was insane, like super long lines. Everybody was just starting to fly again. And, uh, I was in this huge security line, like waiting to go through, um, and I like maybe 20 people ahead of me, this guy drops a soda and it like fizzes all over the floor and like makes a huge mess. And that was the first time that I noticed my husband that day at the airport. I was like, oh, that guy's kind of cute. I was like standing with a coworker that knew him. Okay. And the coworker was like, oh yeah, that's my buddy. You know, I, I never see my husband's name on social media, but he was like, yeah, that's my buddy. So um, my husband, my now husband gets to the front of the security line and they 
completely like strip searched this poor guy. Um, they put him, this is back when they had like the clear box, you know what I mean? And yes. they like put him in the clear box and they made him take off his belt. This is before he had to take off your shoes and your belt. And they made him take off his shoes and his belt and tucked him, like patted him down. So I noticed him again. So then we were, uh, me and my friend were sitting outside of our gate and, uh, Another guy comes up to us and says, Hey, they're boarding my row. I'm in first class. And they, my buddy gave me his messenger bag to hold while he went to the food court to go get a burrito. And he's like, can you guys take this bag? Cause they're being really strict and they're not letting me board with this extra carry on. And we're like, yeah, 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 sure. And I don't know why we didn't ask like, who's your friend. Okay. So we take this bag and then like 15 minutes later, they start boarding our row. And now we have an extra bag. So we we don't know where this guy is. He never came back. So we go up to the, you know, the lady checking everybody in for the flight. Oh and we're like, we're like, somebody gave us this bag to hold. And like the guy never came back. And she's like, okay, wait. So you don't know whose bag this is. You didn't pack this bag. And the person who gave you the bag never came back. And we're like, yeah. And so she calls security and they compensate this bag. Right. So me and my friend, Eddie, get on the plane, we get in our seats. And 20 minutes later, my now husband gets on completely disheveled, like <laughs> shirt. Hey, he's holding his shoes. He's holding <laughs> his belt and he has the bag. And he's like, he stops in our row and is like, his hair's messed up. And he's like, you will not believe what happened to me. I gave my bag to Alex so I could go to the food court and he gave it to someone and they gave it to security. He's like, they all, he's like, they seriously pulled me into a room. He got like interrogated. Okay. Like strip searched, like patted down, like dumped his bag. He barely made his flight. And I was like, oh my God, like me and Eddie were elbowing each other under the seat. Like don't tell him it was us. And I didn't tell him until like, I think we were even engaged. Like when no. I called. like, yeah, I ended up sitting next to him on the plane. Um, Cause he was like sitting by himself in a row. And I'm like, you should just sit with us. And that's how that story of how I met my husband. I got him by security. Yeah iconic see that's why you're good at running meet cutes because you just find yourself in these situations that's too good yeah poor guy too good <laughs> oh my god that's so funny well other parts of part of your world that I love because the meet cute and part of your world I won't spoil it for people because it's a pivotal part of the story I think but it's an incredible meet cute and it's adorable but my favorite aspect of this I mean there were so many but I have to talk about the goat the goat yes yeah. the baby goat so a little like personal anecdote on my end when I was little, my mom used to read me a book called Nanny Goat and the Little Kid. And for whatever reason, I like adored that book. And my name is Liana, obviously, and Liana shortened to Nana, Nana, Nanny, Nanny Goat. So I'm now goat in my house. Like everyone calls me goat. Like goat is like my thing. I'm obsessed with goats. I'm like dying to do goat yoga. Like I just say all the time, like I want to go to a farm and play with goats and see goats. So then when there was a baby goat in your book wearing pajamas, as you can imagine, I like lost my mind. So do you have an affinity for goats? Like how did the goat aspect come into the story? Like, where did that come from? The inspo behind it? Like, do you love goats? Like I love goats. I need to know. I actually have a viral tweet that makes the rounds like twice a year for the yeah. last couple of years. Um, that says something about, I can't, I can't remember exactly how I worded it off the top of my head, but basically my husband's telling the police that his wife has gone missing. And the police is like, we have reason to believe there was a baby goat in the windowless white van. And my husband's like, no, my husband says <laughs> she would never go with anyone. And then when the police say there was a baby goat in the windowless white van, he realizes that I have 
climbed into this van. Right. Um, I love baby goats. I don't know anybody who doesn't. If you don't love baby goats, something is wrong with you. Yeah. Um, but yes, the main character, Daniel, has a baby goat in pajamas. And the baby goat actually made the cover instead of a dog. It's the first time one of my books has does not have a dog in the cover. It has a baby goat instead. I know. It's yeah. amazing. I love that. And the fact that the baby goat wears pajamas just like is the icing on the cake, on icing on the Nadia cupcake. Yes. It's the best ever. Before we get more into part of your world, for those who have not yet read the book, can you just give me like a short little elevator pitch about what part of your world is about? Yes. So Alexis Montgomery is a 37-year-old ER doctor from a very prestigious, very wealthy family with this incredible legacy. Her family is um, the family that has worked at this hospital, William Northwestern for the last 125 years. And they're these powerful philanthropists and, you know, really like these huge sort of titans in the medical world. Okay. And Alexis meets small town boy, Daniel Grant. Daniel Grant is a 28 year old bed and breakfast operator. He's also a carpenter and he has a legacy of his own. Uh, the town that he lives in Wakan was founded by his great, great, great grandfather, uh, 125 years ago, the same year that Alexis's hospital was founded. And, uh, they're both very tied to their legacies. Uh, Alexis's legacy is more obligatory. She doesn't really know what she wants to do. Um, she's sort of coming into this place where she is She's the last in the line, basically. She has to carry this torch now, and she doesn't know what she wants to do with it, and she doesn't know if she's going to be able to do it justice. Um, you know. And then you've got Daniel, who's the mayor of this small town. He comes from a long line of mayors, you know, go, dating back 125 <laughs> years, and he loves his town and he loves his legacy, but he's very much an impoverished prince on the cusp of losing his family home and, you know, sort of finding himself displaced. So there's this really fabulous royalty theme in the book. There's a lot of Disney nods. Um, obviously, the, you know, the name part of your world, um, Alexis is very much a fish out of water. Yeah. Headed fish out of water. That sounds familiar to you in the Disney sense. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of parallels between the two and it's, it's an opposites attract romance. And really these two, even though there's so many reasons why they shouldn't work, they just do yeah. like these two characters are just so meant for each other. The chemistry is great and they have so much in common, even though they have so little in common, it's just so weird. And I, I think, I don't know, you have to read it. It's just, it's such a good book. It's I'm so proud a, of it. It's it's such a good book. And I think the reason why I loved it so much is because you used so many different tropes, like romance tropes that are not overly used. And like, they all happen to be some of my favorites, like the age gap of it all. And the fact that she's older than him is one of my, I love age gap romances and I'm very vocal about how much I love them. But often when there's an age gap romance, it's like an older guy and a younger woman. So I love that you did the flip. Was that always in your head when you started like drafting the outline of this book that you were going to do it as an age gap romance and it was going to be reversed or not even uh, reversed, just older woman, younger man? I think in my mind, I, I was more focused on the social gap and um, than anything. Okay. You know, and really like the age gap, it's there, but it's not like a huge issue, you no. know, so it, it, you know, it gets worked out really fast. Like you see that it's really sort of a non-issue for these two. Um, but I think I was more focused again on the social gap because okay. really that's the true, that's the true thing that's keeping these two apart is the social gap. I mean, there's a wealth gap, there's a social gap, there's a, every sort of gap you can imagine between yeah. the two. 
Yeah. The book also very much felt to me like a Romeo and Juliet-esque story, like especially given that both of their um, both of the main characters are very adamant on like keeping on their family's legacies and like respecting their family name. So was that obviously it was part of the inspiration. I know you said there was a lot of Disney nods, but I feel like that also the the forbidden love of it all is a huge part of it too. Yes. And there's so many reasons why these two can't be together. You know, one Wakan where, you know, Daniel is from is two hours away from where she lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the distance alone in the driving back and forth. And during the, you know, the tourist season, the drive is actually more close, you know, closer to three to four hours. So it's not really commutable for her. She, he can't leave his small town because that's where he belongs. And she can't leave, you know, the hospital that she works at. She can never leave that hospital. So Mm -hmm. they're, there's just so many things keeping these two separated and it seems very impossible, which I love. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that even when I was reading it and I was like, this can't work. Like there's no way it's going to work, but knowing that we're going to always be satisfied in some capacity with your books at the end, I was like, they'll figure it out. There'll be a way. Like, I just love knowing going into it. Like you made us really work for the happily ever after in the end, which is like the best part of all of your books. Like you'll Mm -hmm. make me cry. You'll make me laugh. But in the end, it'll all be like very much worth it. But the book is obviously incredibly cute and heartwarming and so funny, but there's obviously, it wouldn't be a you book if there wasn't like a, some deeper, more serious topic to tackle. And this one talks about abuse in a way that to me, at least emotional abuse, I feel like is not really talked about so often. Like when people think of abuse, they just automatically think of a form of physical abuse or neglect or one of those. But mm-hmm. the emotional abuse that you explore in the story is very interesting. It's very detailed. and honestly, like, I'm not even embarrassed to say this, but it's the, it's the honest truth. Like when, when you were talking about when you were showing how Alexis was treated, obviously it's terrible and horrible, but I did not make the connection that that was actually abuse until you said in the book that she came to acknowledge that she was being emotionally abused. Why was the emotional abuse aspect of it important for you to include in this book? Um, for exactly the reason you just highlighted, because a lot of women do not recognize that, or a lot of people do not recognize that as abuse. And it is emotional abuse and mental abuse can be just as harmful and damaging as physical abuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, both are very entrapping. You feel like you can't leave. It chips away at you. And I I did a lot of due diligence in writing this book. Um, if you go back, if you go to the author's notes, you'll see all of the people that I interviewed um, to make sure that I got this right. Uh, I had a therapist who specializes in trauma. I had domestic violence advocates that I used as beta readers and sensitivity readers for this book. And my own best friend, and she's very vocal about this, that I, I can talk about this, was in an extremely, extremely emotionally, mentally, and physically abusive relationship when her kids were small. I mean, the, some of the stories that she tell, like it, it haunts me to this day, some of the things that she went through. And um, I really wanted this book to act as a guidebook, not only for those who are experiencing abuse, but also for those who are witnessing it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I hear people say that they read this and they saw themselves or they saw their best friend, and maybe now they know what to do about it or how to even identify, or even just to like put a name to it so you can Google it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things when, when I was writing the happy ever after playlist, I was writing about complicated grief. And I did not know that I was writing about complicated grief until one of my beta readers read the book and said, oh, wow, you did such a great job with the complicated grief. And I was like, wait, it has a name. 
And then I went and I Googled it and I realized, oh my gosh, this is a thing. Like I was writing my own observations as a friend, seeing a friend um, living through the aftermath of the death of her husband at a very young age. That's, that's where I got the inspiration for that book. It was something that I saw and I was just writing what I saw and the ability to put a name on something that you're witnessing is just it's so helpful in, in your own healing and your own, you know, ability to navigate what's, what you're going through or what a friend is going through. So it's so important to me that that book did that. I know that, that the bulk of my readership, um, are, are women or women presenting people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately those are the people that experience the bulk of domestic, domestic violence and emotional and mental abuse. A lot of the time before we wrap up, I'm so like kicking myself because I know you did a bonus chapter incentive for pre-orders mm-hmm. and everyone is like talking about it, but not talking about it kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, if you <laughs> yeah. know, you know, but if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. So I'm just curious because I feel like I'm very new to like this whole pre-order world. Like, I don't know why, but this is never, I've only started my bookstagram in the last two years. And before that, I wasn't really following authors on social media. And I was kind of just like, when I heard of a book, I'd buy a book. And I was kind of always late to the game, but I'm curious if you've done this before, what the feedback's been like, if you're going to do it again, like it seems like an incredible marketing idea. Well, what we did for my last three books was if you pre-ordered, you got your name in the back of the book. And that was also really popular incentive, Okay, but it got completely unmanageable. Like the bigger my readership got, it got to the point where now there's like thousands of names in the back of this book. And so my publisher was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. This is too many. Like it's getting too, it's getting too hard to manage. So this year we did the the chapter. And they asked me like, Oh, do you want to write a chapter about, you know, one of maybe like Kristen and Josh, or you get like a bonus chapter from like one of the previous characters. And I already knew, I knew right away exactly what I wanted this chapter to be about. And, um, you know, I, I don't even want to spoil, I don't want to say too much because my publisher might make it available in a different way. Okay. And like maybe they want to post it like on their website at some point, or, um, you know, I don't know what the, I, I don't want to spoil it. Cause I don't know what they want to do. Totally it, fair. But, um, it, is about a character that we meet in the previous books and it absolutely links into part of your world and adds a little bit more depth and backstory to part of your world. So it was a fun, it was a fun chapter to write. So fun. And speaking of things that you're writing, it was very evident at the end of the book, it says, don't worry, Bree's story is coming up next. So obviously you said you're working on your sixth book, meaning the fifth book is Bree's book, but what can you tell us about Bree's stories or any little hint, clue, nugget, Anything you could share about that book? So Bree's book, it's called Just My Type, and it's going to be out this time next year. And I have to say, Jacob is my absolute favorite hero that I've written so far. Wait, that's very high praise. Yes. Um, He is a complete cinnamon roll and he has clinical anxiety and he takes medication for it. And I very much work in this book to um, normalize going to therapy and using medication and, you know, dealing with a mental illness. Um, I absolutely love him as a, as a character and we all love Brie. We already know, you know, that Brie is just like a complete firework. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's my first, um, uh, Hispanic main character. Okay. She's Salvadorian. Um, for, you know, for those of you that don't know, I am married to a Salvadorian man and, um, I had a really good time writing her. Uh, the book is about her, uh, how can I put this? We meet, we hear a little bit about Brianna's brother, Benny in part of your world, that her mm-hmm. brother has, um, a kidney condition. 
And when we get to Bree's book, her brother's kidneys have failed. He's in full renal failure and in need of a kidney transplant. And Jacob is the kidney donor for her brother, which is why the book is called Just My Type. Oh my God. Yes. I have goosebumps. I actually and, have goosebumps. Yeah. And That's Jacob, so um, I think all this is going to be back cover stuff. So this isn't spoilery, but Jacob decides to donate his kidney in secret. And Brianna does not know that he's doing that. Um, she immediately finds out, like immediately um, through some antics that happened at the hospital. And she wants to do anything that she can to repay him for this absolutely generous gift that she's giving, that he's giving her little brother. And what Jacob needs is a fake girlfriend because his I my favorite trope I know, honestly, like the tropes in this book the tropes um his brother his little brother is marrying his ex-girlfriend and his whole family is waiting for him to just like climb a ledge and jump and he tells his family you know like in trying to get them to like don't worry about him like hey I'm seeing someone else it's fine I'm happy you guys don't need to worry about me and he then needs to actually find someone to fill this role while they're going through all the wedding stuff and Brianna who's completely indebted to him is like me I'll do it so it's a fake dating trope um with a complete cinnamon roll hero and uh there's one bed scene and uh, we get to go back to wakan we get to go back and see like all of the characters that we love from part of your world like and, oh. and on top of all of that these two write letters to each other so we get these fabulous letters that they write back and forth throughout the whole book and it's just so fun and it's so funny and i love jacob with like the burning passion of 10,000 suns. Like he is my my favorite hero. I feel like he's my most fleshed out, most lovable, most likable hero. Like I just want to wrap him in a blanket and like keep him safe. Like I just love him so much. I'm so excited to read that when, so it's coming out like in a year's time, we'll have it. It'll be out in the world. Um, I'm thinking that we're going to have advanced reader copies probably the same time we have them for part of your world. So maybe like October-ish, November-ish, you know, the, the advanced copies will start coming out, but it is such a good book. And it, it is so funny. Like some of the things that Brianna says, cause we know she was the comic relief. She was beyond the comic relief. Totally. Yeah, yeah. The whole time. And she just keeps going <laughs> like, you know, no. in, in just my type, she was so fun to write. I'm so excited. So next year, when this book is out, you're going to come back. We're going to talk about just my type. And then hopefully we'll have a lot of movie news stuff. I catch so. up on yes. from, from both of these books, which will be epic. So much fun. Okay. Well, I think that's it for today. This was so much fun and I cannot wait to have you back soon. So we could talk about just my type and everything else you got going on. And I'm going to continue to follow you on social and tell you to come bring me cupcakes in Canada and (laughs) and post pictures of your dogs and I'll cry over them. And yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. My pleasure. This is my treat, like really like the best, best way to spend a weekend morning. It was a dream. It was so much fun.